is Rachel. Hey, this is Spencer. And this is Neon Boots, the 90s country music podcast. And today we have Mike McKee of Delta Ray with us. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thanks for having me today. <laughs> so we now have completed the rhythm section of Delta Ray. We're not done yet. We just started, oh. so we haven't... Let's, well... Let's see if... Yeah. yeah. We'll see how long you last here. Yeah. You've been announced, so... You've been announced. Official. Okay. So we're releasing here? this regardless of what happens. Yeah. Okay. Even if we stop right now, we're going to say that we did an you, episode you did with Mike McKee. Okay. Done. Good. Yeah. Done. I think this is the first time we've had this, like, more than one person from a single band, right? I think so, yeah. Other than, like, two for well, ones, like Blue Cactus. Well, I was going to say, like, having all of the randos from... I don't know where you're going with this. Yes, you do. I have no idea what this is getting edited. Blue Man Group? No. <laughs> like, an actual band? I'm not sure where you're not going with this. Not a real band. Yeah, I can't wait to edit this. band that started yeah. this all. Oh, Hard Tuck. Yeah, that counts. Hard Tuck? I'm yes. at, like, a touring No, like, no, no. That's what I'm you. saying. Hard okay. Tuck would be a loose maybe. Yeah, yeah. They're the reason that this started mm. at all. Mm. It actually has a lot to do with your song that we selected. Okay. We selected today that we'll talk about. Mm. Yeah. Foreshadowing. In a little mm. bit. Later on in the episode. Mm. Yeah. After the first commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> so be- before the first commercial break and before we start that <laughs> discussion, uh, why don't you tell us, Mike, a little bit about your relationship and perspective on 90s country music? My relationship and perspective on country music. Yeah. I don't have... Honestly, like, it's so funny that... I didn't listen to much country music in the 90s. I was Weezer, Green Day, I was, and, you know, that guy. But my favorite album to this day is Tom Petty Wildflowers, which has a lot of country stuff in it. But country adjacent. Yeah, but I was, I definitely stuck my nose up at it. But my high school girlfriend's dad always had the Dixie Chicks on. Oh. And I secretly loved it. (laughs) I was like, I was like, damn it, these are good songs. And they're just like, just well written. Uh huh well-crafted, yeah. structured songs. Like, damn, this is really good. But I didn't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Until just now. The first one. I was going to say, you're yeah, you also not the first person on this podcast that has admitted that they they did not admit that they like country music, but right. they were like closeted right. country it's, it's kind of this, and I mean, I'm from North Carolina, so it's mm-hmm. kind of in my DNA. I just didn't realize yeah. it. And then yeah. when you listen to the songs, especially, I don't know, there's something about the, the 90, I love 90s music in general, so mm-hmm. that's, part of you know uh, the reason that the Dixie Chick stuff resonated with me but sonically the recordings of that genre in that decade right. makes the most sense to me yeah it just sounds and we can get nerdy about that stuff if you want to absolutely but it's like sonically it just resonates with me yeah yeah so what what do you think from I guess from this sonic perspective what is similar between what you heard on those Dixie Chicks albums and what you were listening to on Pinkerton. Great question. <laughs> Great question. Honestly, is it's the vocals on top, the guitars cut through right in that mid range. The drums are a little bit on the on the higher mm-hmm. end of, of sound. Today is much more beefier and lower sounding, yeah. more resident, you know, more like seventies kind of stuff mm-hmm. now. But I don't know, it just sat really well. It, everything was clean and clear and understandable and not super overproduced. It was just a very straightforward mm-hmm. production. Interesting, because there's we've discussed usually for earlier '90s stuff, like 
your early Reba, that some of that was overproduced a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And then I think mid-90s. Residuals of the 80s, mm-hmm. I think. And then mid-90s is where you start to see the turn towards stuff like Dixie Chicks, which does have a little bit cleaner stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, the Rick Rubin produced Wildflowers, that record that I love, and he mm-hmm. also produced the later Dixie Chicks stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the 90s Dixie Chicks, but the more right. recent yeah, things. Yeah. And there's, I mean, they sound so similar to me. Yeah. Just, you know, very raw. Cool. Just the opposite of like Shania's 90s stuff. Where sure. It's like every sound was thought about and deliberated Mutt on. Mutt Lang, man. Yeah. Mutt Lang produced that stuff. Who did yeah. Def Leppard and ACDs. Right. Like, that's just brilliant. I mean, yeah. it's a different animal, different thing, but it, I think that stuff is also brilliant. So many more like layers almost with Shania's stuff. Oh, yeah, it's pop. It's, yeah. it's real, yeah, straight. It's yeah. Real, real pop. Yeah. Yeah, they were going for something else with it. So, so it sounds like you have a little bit different history than like Spencer and I, even though we grew up in the Carolinas as well, we were gung ho country mm-hmm. until discovering stuff like for and, me, like Green yes. Day and Weezer. You were late at the party. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, probably like a year or two after Blue Album came out and okay. you know, stuff like that. Sure. Like, sure. Yeah. After and like an older listening. cousin or brother or yeah. That's what it someone, is, yeah. you know, a sibling from someone at school was like, Oh, let me show you this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like warp tour happened. Oh, I didn't get warped to a toy later. I just when you when I was at that age, you know, young teenager, like right. that's just like when the people were angry about stuff, and yeah. I was angry at things too. It was hard being a, you know, <laughs> suburban kid in Apex. It was hard. Well, yeah, I imagine an Apex. I mean, goodness, you don't you don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, rough life. It was not really? the peak of good living back then. No, it was the, it was a tough streets, man. Rode our bikes around, our huffies. It was tough. But but that that music and then you know, Rage Against the Machine happened for me. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, that's the real. Yeah. yeah. But I grew I grew up only listening. My parents are both classical musicians. Okay. Professionally, that's what they do for a living. And I grew up with just classical music, the Beatles, and Christian music. Mm. And so non-Christian rock and roll was not really allowed for a long, long time. Yeah. So naturally the first record I really got, other than like, oh yeah, the Weezer, Petty, and then Raging Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. And that's when it kind of went downward that's from there. <laughs> downward. <laughs> Evil music, all, you know, for the win, for that, yeah. I think it's interesting that you said that you were raised on Christian music because we haven't talked about it in a while, but for a few episodes in a row there, the Dove Awards would always get a reference. Yeah. There's a lot there of crossover. Is, there's a ton of crossover. Between country. Sure. And, and like, especially Christian rock type of stuff. Sure. Well, yeah. The biggest country producer now, Dan Huff, mm-hmm. was, he produced and played Michael W. Smith, who was like the granddaddy of right. CCM 90 stuff. Yeah. So it's very incestuous. Like a lot of the people who played for DC Talk and stuff like those Christian 90s bands are all yeah. in country bands country now. Country music yeah. now. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So can you tell me a little bit about why you chose Strawberry Wine by Dina Carter as your song? It's a great song. Okay. And it made me think, and it wasn't on the list of songs not to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I first heard this song, my my high school band was playing at Caribou Coffee in Cary. We would ask the manager, hey, can we do a concert here? And it was free. And we'd pack the place out with our friends, you know, 30, 40 people, right. but pack the place out. And one of the openers was our guitar teacher's student who was maybe 15 or so. And she was singing Strawberry Wine. I didn't know it was a, a, like a famous song. I hadn't uh-huh. heard it before. I thought she wrote it. And I was like, damn, <laughs> this is a great song. And this little 15-year-old's playing it. And I listened to the words like, oh, damn, you shouldn't be singing this. <laughs> 
but it's a great song. And then afterwards, like I was like, that's a holy shit. And she's like, yes, Dina Carter. Oh, like oh, you didn't write. Okay, never mind. Never. Okay, yeah, rewind. I should get out. Never more. mind. Well, and actually, so Dina Carter didn't write it either. Which was it the fifteen-year-old at the coffee shop? It was right, the fifteen-year-old right. at the right. coffee shop who sent it to, to Dina, Dina right. and then no, um, Matresa Berg wrote it. Was ah. the was the writer? Okay, I don't know how old she was when she wrote it. She she was well. <laughs> it was recorded when she was about. 30, early 30s. Okay. Right. You know that line where it's like, I remember when 30, when was, 30 old. was old. Right. Um, so she co-wrote it with a guy named Gary Harrison, and they wrote Wild Angels together. You just know all the off the top of your head. Oh, that's no. amazing. That's, yeah. You guys don't have any notes or anything no, here. No, so no. This, this is basically all my notes, actually. Is what I'm about to, they also co-wrote Wrong Side of Memphis, which was Trisha Yearwood's. Then Matresa co-wrote Trisha Yearwood's X's Nose and Dixie Chicks. If I Fall, You're Going Down With Me. And then she's written a ton of stuff. Yeah. But those are some of the bigger ones. And I found out today when I was uh, watching some videos, although I was actually in Chicken Soup for the Country Music Soul. Mm-hmm. I just forgot about it. Pam Tillis and Trisha Yearwood both passed on recording this originally because Dina mm-hmm. Carter wasn't really... There's yeah, a lot of star. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of songs like that where people will pass on it and mm-hmm. it gets picked up by somebody who's you know needs... Songs yeah. in the catalog, yeah. and yeah. Just, yeah, you never yeah. know. Because she put out, she put out this record, I think, two years before, a year before, in the UK, and then they wanted to put out in the US. Like, you need some more songs that mm-hmm. you know, want to be hits or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, apparently Trisha Wood plays all the time now and's and shows and says like it's the one that got away or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, this, and this song too, like it's got it checks a lot of boxes. Like the seventeen. Mm-hmm. Is like the age for right. every yes. song, right? Yes. Every song, yes. And then any song that's in six eight is a song about advice. There's all these, you know, anything that's in <laughs> oh. six eight. Dun, 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 it's always like, stuff. yeah, listen to anything in six eight pop music that's going to give advice to the younger generation. <laughs> wow. Mm. Dropping it, knowledge bombs. What are some other crazy. examples? Standing yeah. up, like uh, "Fly Away," that Kelly Clarkson song. Okay. You know, I, I just can't in my mind like go back like, oh, these songs. Listen, are this do, I'm not. You know, yeah, I should have been. I should have had my notes with me, just like a reference. Well, show. You're the one that brought this up. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love I love talking about kind of like unexpected or unknown. Like I imagine as a musician, like that's just like common knowledge. Like yeah, that's something that we just know. No, I, I don't know. It's just a, me and my brother joke about it a lot. Oh, like okay. that's another fucking advice song in 6-8. <laughs> right. And we don't make a list of the of, you know references, but well, one day we will. Write well, a book. Write a book. That would be great. Yeah, and then yeah. we can reference Start a book podcast. On here. And y'all, and I was listening to a podcast of y'all with, with uh, Phil Cook. Yeah. And y'all were joking about all the Travises, mm-hmm. right? But then that was in the 90s, and now it's Brett's and Chris's. So the new Travises <laughs> are, Brett's are Brett's and Chris's. Chris's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I get them mixed yeah. up. And, yeah. and country music is yeah. I'm very unclear which one's which. <laughs> it's the 6'2 baseball player guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 We yeah. washed up for the minor leagues, and now we yeah. just run. Oh. <laughs> it's true. Well, like, yeah. you know. You're right. <laughs> One thing you were saying about the song, at the time, this came out in 96 on her first album, and I think at the time, I thought this song was like as ubiquitous as like a Shania hit. Mm. But I have later, later found out this is a song like if you listen to country music, it probably felt that way. But like, I think everyone outside of country music had no idea this song existed, more or less. It was like, a minor it wasn't, hit. Well, I think in the country world, it was a big hit. You oh, know, but the Shania but, was a pop, a, a pop crossover. Right, right, exactly. Right. exactly. No, she was on VH1. Right. Yeah. And to me, this seems like a very poppy song where it like, could be a pop well, crossover, did, but not the same way that Shania was. It did 
It yeah, did peak at yeah. 65 <laughs> on the Billboard Hot 100 in November. So it got some play, so but it wasn't like Shania. It got some play, but it definitely was not Shania. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it should have been. Well, and then I get, and part of the reason that I said earlier that this song inspired this podcast was Spencer was at a hard tuck show where they were playing this song and nobody else was singing along. No, there was, there was a lot of people singing Very along, few people but were there were people along. that I could specifically could see. They're like, what the, what's going on? You were screaming at the top of your lungs. Oh, I was crying. Yes, I was. Like, yeah. Yeah. I can, my story. I can remember when 30 was old. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, it's talking about me now. Yeah. I get that line. <laughs> Green on the vine. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> you get me. <laughs> um, the thing that I appreciate about this song and that I felt connected to was whenever I learned that Matresa first came up with the song title and it was inspired by Boone's Farm, yeah. Strawberry Hill. Mm-hmm. And Boone's Farm was, unfortunately, my drink of choice mm. for many years when I thought that 30 was old. <laughs> if you're drinking that, is it because you have a choice or just because it's there? I think it was there. Yes. No, I actually preferred to drink that. I would play beer pong with Boone's Farm instead of beer because I didn't well, like that's probably that. That needs to be your, the title of your autobiography. <laughs> beer Pong with, with Boone's, Boone's Farm. Farm. <laughs> <laughs> new podcast. Uh, new podcast. I mean, if you're choosing that over like Natty Light though, that's like, again, barely a choice. It's like, uh, I guess. <laughs> defaulting into this option. Yeah, defaulting mm. into the, I, I like the blue Hawaiian and the green. Who doesn't? Melon ball ones. <laughs> mm. Those were good. So in the chicken soup book she mentions that basically this entire story is true is autobiographical except for the farm it wasn't actually you know at her grandpa's farm but that sounded good in the song but everything else she like had a summer in wisconsin met this guy who i think one of my favorite parts of this song is the in the first verse just like and he had a car mm-hmm. it wasn't like one of those songs like his chevy was sexy or something like that she's like nope he had a car yeah and yes, like i remember like there. growing up and so i was like oh well he has a car he yeah. has a way to get around and, cool yeah like it was a 92 geo prison <laughs> right <laughs> but you could go somewhere that wasn't here so it didn't matter if it right. was like a cool car or something yeah and i was like that's like a real rural line just there a car exists and cars it, it sounds better it rolls off the tongue better than vehicle right in the song. <laughs> Well, I think that's a good point. Do you want to listen to a little bit of it? Sure. The song is the most well-written approach to the subject matter because mm-hmm. it's just skirting around. There's nothing on the nose. Yeah, it's very poetic, and it's a song that a lot of people can relate to. That's one reason I just like it so much because it's just so poetic, but not you know overly it's not flowery. Like, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It's, it's, um, well, and I saw that there was some concern from her label about like her singing a song, like recounting. A person's first sexual experience, like 
that's an awkward subject to put on but the radio. But they never say it. But they never say it. Right. She does say loss of my loss of my innocence. That could mean a lot of different it things. It could, but yeah. I think that that's pretty obvious. Well, when I you're 11 listening to this, I surely didn't know that's, that's what was going on. Like, that's true. I had no idea. <laughs> that's like an but, adult phrase to was, describe it, which I'm like, okay, I don't know what they're talking about. But there was a little bit of a taboo around that. And we've also talked about like the bias against like it would be okay for a man to sing that type of song uh-huh. but for a woman to sing that type of song well if a dude was singing it it would have been just parading and, and exactly and bragging yeah. about yeah. it and they were also concerned because it's a fairly long song like it's over like, the it's four like 15 minute minutes mark. long it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's over the, the radio edit is five minutes long well the, 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 the long edit. version goes into graphic detail <laughs> play by play of the encounter it's basically software porn <laughs> and song version <laughs> it's a whole different music video well, <laughs> it's, a, it's an erotic novel, basically. Well, and then I saw another thing that said the bridge about, which I guess is the whole, like, mm-hmm. years after years, I sure, go back sure, to the sure. place. They wanted to remove it because they felt like it sounded too much like a Beatles song. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I like the bridge because I feel like it makes that connection from That's a great the bridge. nostalgia piece yeah. to where I am today. It's a perfect bridge. Yeah. Yeah, and she talked in what she wrote about the song about like her grandparents sold this farm not long after that summer. And I think a lot of people have that like, oh, these summer memories of just like doing whatever all day, you know, messing around, having fun with your friends, whatever. And so like she Sounds like this, she had that memory. Right, right. So she had this nostalgia of this place. <laughs> but then like they sold it so she can go back to it and like revisit those memories. So just right. kinda like purely It would be very creepy for somebody to go to a barn and right. like children gather. <laughs> Let this me is, tell you. Let me play you a fi- tell you, play a fifteen minute song that tells it all. Does everyone have their boons for him? Okay. Got it. Shot. Check. I, th- I do think Matrice is just a wonderful songwriter and we talked a little bit about some of the other songs that she wrote and including one that she and Dina actually wrote together called You and Tequila which was picked up and recorded by Kenny Chesney and that of course it was <laughs> of course it was it's a song about tequila of course Kenny Chesney is going to sing it uh-huh. but I saw an interview with Dina Carter where she had not had huge successes after Strawberry Wine and she she was dropped from her label and was trying to figure out where she was going to end up and was having a really tough time. And she was 40 at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to sign her because she wasn't a fine young thing anymore. But then Kenny Chesney picked up that song mm-hmm. and it gave her a renewed energy yeah, to, that's keep, cool. that's to stay great. in country music and that's great. to keep It's such a marathon. Work. The whole industry is such a marathon and you never know mm-hmm. what's going to work and what's not going to work. Yeah. And it's, it's like the most infuriating thing. Yeah. Like you see people get, well, it's, we, we think it's lucky. It's not, it may, but maybe it is like nobody, yeah. there's no like magic eight ball and there's songs that you're like, this is a piece of shit. And then like it blows up and then yeah. there's a song that you think and your team and every rally like, this is a, this is it, mm-hmm. this is it. And it just doesn't move the needle. And then sometimes it takes 10 years for a song. Like you never know. It's just, it's well, a little and, strange. And even with this song with Strawberry Wine, they were not planning on releasing it as her first release, but whenever she was doing the old school thing of going around to radio stations and shopping out her album and playing songs. Sure. The songs that resonated with the most people that actually 
listeners called in and said that they wanted to hear more mm-hmm. was Strawberry Wine, yeah. which is why it became the first single. Right. So, like, completely unexpected you never that, know. that that was going to be other, what hit it big. Just the other day, we were talking, we ran into uh, somebody who works with Jewel mm-hmm. and broke her first record. And You Were Meant For Me was, like, on the back burner. That wasn't going to be, that was, like, a, a, a nothing song. It was, like, a throwaway. You never That's know. crazy. Yeah. But then I feel like now there seems like there's a lot and we talked about this I think on the last episode we posted there's so many great songs obviously there's lots of great songs on your radio play but so many great songs specifically by women in country now that are not getting radio play that seems like it should be so obvious to a programmer like oh you should be playing something by the high women you should be playing something by Kelsey Walden you should be playing something by Casey Musgraves Uh and then like somehow that ends up not happening versus like in the 90s it seemed like there's a little bit more not free for all but just like oh yeah we want to play this song because it is great and we want to play it yeah and I, I mean I think kind of going back to what you were saying about Dina Carter's career like it just seems and I've been thinking about this more because of CMA performance this two weekends ago a weekend mm-hmm. ago whatever where like all that whole like superstar women thing in the beginning it was like Tracy Clark has to play like a song from 20 years ago yeah. and Reba plays a song from almost 30 years ago and uh, you know Martina plays an older song it's kind of like alright we'll let you have that hit but like if your next one isn't a hit like we're yeah. going to our interest is going to fall off pretty quickly mm-hmm. uh, where there's lots of dude performers who have not really had the best track record after their hits so I feel like they still kind of get propped up a little bit more and maybe I'm overthinking that but it just seems like I don't know. I've been, I've been thinking about a lot since the CMA thing that it's just kind of weird that they're playing these 30-year-old songs. Yeah. It Well, it, it shows you where we are. Yeah. And it shows you that, like, the CMA, those are, that's industry voted, mm-hmm. right? Everybody in the in the industry knows that women are getting played, like, 7% on radio, right? Right. So they do the best they can outside of radio to, to lift it up. So CMAs, that, you know, that's, like, industry voted. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's a feature. Yeah. But when you watch the, whatever the country version of the, the um, Billboard Awards are, mm-hmm. like, the radio stuff... Mm-hmm. It's going to be all dudes. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think it's partly to blame the program directors. However, it's also the, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know whose fault it is because they, every song, most songs that you hear on the radio, at least in the country world, there, there's a million dollars of fucking research behind them. Right. And if there's a song that raises its hand and says, you know, yes, this is going to be a whatever hit. And like, okay, let's let's play it. And it's a, it's a dude. Okay, another one's a dude. It's a dude. It's a dude. And like, I I don't know if it's the program director saying like, no, we're not going to play ladies, or if it's the people that are that or the research that's happening. Like, right. people just like to hear dudes. I don't know what it is, but it's but, fucking like nine percent are or so yeah. are like how, on the radio women. But you could flip it the other way and be like, okay, well the numbers say that women that people listen to men more but that's because that's all there is to listen to sure. so it's a chicken and an egg well, I totally agree and, and, and who's getting signed and, right, right and where's the money going and uh, yeah I, I, or it, like, it does seem like women at least to benefit them are writing more authentic music in the country world which maybe is why it's not getting on the radio because the stuff on the radio is usually fairly shallow whenever it comes to yeah well, I mean, I think it also kind of feeds into the, with the research. Like, this is something I like because it sounds like this other thing I've heard. And like, and not that it's the same. But like when I was discovering 
alternative rock in the 90s was like oh I really like Green Day I want to listen to other things that sound like Green Day until I heard like Rage Against the Machine I was like oh that's different I like that too uh-huh. but you know I was seeking out stuff that sounded a lot like this the sound I already knew I liked mm-hmm. you know like sure. I know it's not exactly the same saying you know female vocalist versus male vocalist in country music but I think there are some differences like you said in the songwriting and, and the style of it mm-hmm. a lot of times oh no doubt if you listen to a Casey Musgraves record versus like a, a Sam Hunt record like in my opinion one one's gonna have a depth yeah and, and and one is not and it's just you know and one's getting played on the radio and one and is one not, not. Mm-hmm. yeah this may not be something you want to talk about on the record but have you noticed that with Delta Ray with y'all being in Nashville now mm-hmm. like has that has that been something with a female fronted group that y'all had to combat at all or of not? course okay. of course I mean we signed the big machine record records uh, in I guess 20 16 because they are a radio force right. they, they and the, the successes that we have had in the past were largely due to radio airplay in certain markets yeah. so some of our best markets we had great radio airplay uh, and we saw the, our ticket sales just skyrocket so like okay great that's the ticket let's do that and then when things were not looking good at Warner's we we pivoted and went okay let's do this and 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 focus in on one type of sound that we have and we got the offer and we did it and it was also the point where Dixie Chicks were making a comeback, Marin Morris was doing the thing and Casey Musgraves was doing this was mm-hmm. starting to bubble up and there was more attention to bands with the Brothers Osborne and these bands were kind of doing a thing again. And we're like, okay, maybe bro country music is starting to die down a little bit. And mm-hmm. it's time for women to get back into the mainstream, like in the nineties. Right. And we were just wrong. And, and it's, it's almost like bro country just doubled down <laughs> and it's just more. And there was a full radio campaign for our stuff. They put a lot of energy and muscle and really good people on the, on the radio team, but it just, and it just didn't stick. And I don't know what, whose fault it is. The song was, was, you know, like I said, researching, like it was going to do really well and people were reacting to it, but it just didn't stick. And radio programmers would do the overnight spins and see if their reaction was. And they just, it just didn't get traction. And mm. maybe if it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it would do, or maybe 10 years from now, it would do right. something. I don't know. It's this yeah. weird thing, but we would do these radio shows and stuff and, and it was all dudes and no band. So we had two strikes against us, really. Yeah. But then there's this almost counterculture in Nashville that is happening with the Jason Isbell's and, and like the, what the high women are doing, like that is kind of like, all right, you're not, or even Casey Musgraves or Marin Morris, like, okay, you're not going to play us. So we're just going to make music that we like. Right. And there's going to be an audience for that. Brandy Carlisle's doing it. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's happening and just maybe radio is just not ready for it yet. I don't know. Well, and yeah. I think as, as much negativity that we can talk about regarding <laughs> like streaming services, like Spotify, not paying the artists and stuff like that. I do see that there's the benefit of that getting this unplayed radio stuff out to the masses more easily. No, you're making a face. No, I agree. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but like that's a, that's, it's a, it's a paradox. Yeah. I think that right now we're in such an exciting and weird and an uncomfortable time in the music industry mm-hmm. in the nineties, but we're talking nineties country music. The industry was making money hand over fist. Artists were making a lot of money. If you had a song, I was chatting with Emerson Hart from Tonic. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. And, and we were just, I was like, dude, I love Tonic. I love your stuff. And we were having a nice chat. And then he goes like, how many units did you sell for your first record? And I told him, he's like, that's really, really great for 2013, 2014. He said, just for perspective, if we weren't selling that every like week, then you would get dropped. And maybe he said every quarter, because that's a little bit extreme. Maybe like every quarter you, you would get dropped. 
But if you have any traction at all, you were selling that much. And then the right. money they pump into you is just just a completely different industry. Yeah. And and now with the streaming thing and all that, it's just we're it's just I find it exciting and, and really fascinating. What's, mm-hmm. what's you know, because nobody knows what the hell's happening yeah, or what's yeah. gonna happen. And right. And they are putting parameters up. There are laws getting passed, which is, you know, I think ultimately gonna be artist friendly. And they're counting I think it's 1,500 or so streams mm-hmm. is an album. So they're able right. to like get on the charts these ways. Oh, and nice. there's, there's, they're calibrating. Yeah. Things. It's just really weird. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big thing with like Lizzo topping the charts and yeah. Lil Nas X and some of those ones that weren't necessarily getting a huge label push being able to rise up because so I remember many, like when she was going for like the record breaking week or whatever, she was like trying to get people to stream her song to mm-hmm. keep it and on. She was streaming a song that had been released like the previous year right mm-hmm. but they had been around for a little while but was still able to chart because of the actions of people yeah on stream using streaming services yeah. imagine yeah. having that conversation this conversation 15 years ago right and be like oh nobody's gonna buy your CD but they're gonna listen to it over and over again streaming it like like what the hell or, are you talking yeah. about? Like or the just, concept wouldn't have existed yeah. or just like you can get on the internet and connect directly with your fans and tell them Hey, listen to this song I just put out, and you know, like that conversation is happening. It's the Wild West. I was thinking a lot in the past couple of days, and partly it came from remembering that time when I saw you outside of the school I work. Yeah, yeah. And Mike was driving for Uber, uh, well, off tour, mm-hmm. and I saw like later that day a kid I used to teach had like a picture of like the back corner of Mike's head from like the back seat. He's like, my Uber driver's the Delta Ray driver or something like that. <laughs> I think it's like weird now when I think about the nostalgia we have like nice country, they were like these mythical superstars or like you might've had for sure. you know, Billy Joe from Green Day or sure. um, Zach Delarocha or whoever. Like you weren't able to really connect with them as a person, see their day-to-day life all that stuff, which is really cool, I think, in a lot of ways. But also, it's just like a weird concept. Like, you know, back in the day, we, we knew whatever the label or their publicist or whoever wanted us to know about Garth Brooks or Martina McBride yeah. or Shania or whatever. Now I can get on Instagram and see what Shania Twain is doing in Europe that night. Uh, yeah. You know, like, yeah. It's, Think about if Led Zeppelin came out. Like, they're mythical gods, right? Right, right, right. But, And that's their ethos, and it worked. But, but like, would it still be cool to see, like... A, like selfie of, of them, like hey, I'm about to play an arena. Like right. it's it's a, it's a weird time we live in, yeah. and and unfortunately or fortunately, you you kind of have to break that fourth wall a lot. And we yeah. when we kind of started up with, with Del Trey stuff, it was when Instagram was kind of starting up, mm-hmm. and, and it was like this whole like, what do we do? What right. kind of what kind of band do we want to be? And we were split. We talk about it all the time. We yeah. want to be a mysterious band and and make it harder. Right, right. <laughs> or do we want to be to break the fourth wall and let our personality show through and you know, we still struggle with it today. Yeah. Yeah. One of the cool things is you get to hear these you don't have to buy the chicken soup for the country music <laughs> soul, but to find the stories out, like y'all were talking about that kind of stuff. Like when you put out hands dirty, like that story behind the song is coming out a lot. It's not just like here's a song, listen to the lyrics and figure it out. Like you hear the like personal narratives that shape that right which is makes the songs a lot more interesting to me mm-hmm. but yeah I appreciate that man like back to the Uber thing like <laughs> the other day I mean, a few months ago my brother Mark who, who lives in LA but he was in Nashville doing some work and all when we talk on the phone we just gripe about the industry yeah <laughs> and just how you know it is what it is but when uh, he goes man 
Brett Young's drummer and musical director is my Uber driver, taking me to the air from the airport. And like, isn't that telling of how things? I mean, he's just like, and maybe he would just wanted to make some extra cash, or right, maybe right. he enjoys it. I, I like doing it, yeah, like yeah. you know. But it's just a funny. We're in a such a weird mm-hmm. spot in the music industry and right. just the gig economy, all these kind of things. Because yeah. for all I know. He could be making dirt at the gig, but drummers just love to play, right, you know. Right. And like we, and, and there's this, you know, this as a to make ends meet, you have this opportunity to, to drive people around, yeah, yeah, and then play an arena the next day, right? Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? What you have coming up besides Uber driving potentially? Just that, wait, man. Wait, wait, wait. I might do I a lift. A, I have a connection. Okay. Oh I, shit! Sorry, I, I was trying to. <laughs> okay. It's not a really good transition. Oh great! I'm leaving this build up in. Well, so everyone knows how excited Rachel is about this bullshit that she's about to. to see she just touched my shoulder. Sucks. That's it how excited did. she this did it again. Physically have yeah. to stop what um, you're doing. Physically stop and listen <laughs> to what I'm about to say. So whenever I know that Delta Ray has had the opportunity to collaborate with some really in, like interesting musicians and Grant talked a little bit about that on his episode so whenever you said that you wanted to do this song I was like I wonder I wonder what it is that would make Mike want to choose this song so it's like I wonder if Delta Ray has a connection to Dina Carter in this song and the only connection I could find but this what I'm going to drop is Farm Aid and y'all were 20 years apart she got her start playing Farm Aid because Willie Nelson discovered her and then y'all played and that was in 94 Willie Nelson discovered her? yeah and invited her to come play Farm Aid 94 and she was the only lady singer at Farm Aid lady that year. <laughs> and so that was before this record came out. Yeah, that what? was that was like her first exposure was 1994 Farm Aid and mm. nobody knew who she was and then she came back to Farm Aid in 99 after she had hit it big with Strawberry Wine and that yeah, and, yeah. and then y'all played in 2014. That sounds right. <laughs> and when it was somewhere here in North Carolina. Right. It was, it was a Walnut Creek. It was Creek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Creek. And so anyway, so that was my transition from Dina Carter to Delta Ray. Perhaps doing a farm benefit show inspired the strawberries. Perhaps. Farm. <laughs> <laughs> I was no. in my head. I was trying don't to piece do it together. Don't, and do it. Just don't, don't do it. I'm, I'm glad you, you fell in that grenade. No. <laughs> so, so yeah, so you can talk about Delta Ray now since I made that connection. Um, You're allowed. Right. I will remove my hand from your shoulder now. No, podcast world. She's still touching my shoulder and I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, we, we have just recently left our second uh, label deal. And we went completely independent. We launched a Kickstarter campaign, and we. That was like, wait, tell me about that Kickstarter campaign. I'm going to let me finish. I'm talking to a. Good God. Okay. I'm very excited about it. Sure, stop touching me. If y'all could see, I was gonna say, I need, like, video, I need a video of this and put on Instagram real quick. Strawberry wine. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so yes, we we were kind of in a in a position where Delta Ray is a weird band. We have songs that uh, that could fit in the country genre. We have songs that don't, and the country genre that we learned is very they they like their boxes, and mm-hmm. we felt uncomfortable. We weren't able to do the things we wanted to do. Long story short, we weren't able to put out a record. We had a lot of songs in the can, and we were we, we haven't had a record out in, in four years. And for touring bands in particular, that's the lifeblood. It gets people back right. and, and come see the band. So we decided to leave the that second re- label deal that we have had, and which is weird because growing up, 
getting a record deal. That's, That's the end all yeah. be all. And like, yeah. it's just weird being in that position of like, it's not, we, you know, it's the, it's not as, um, it doesn't work for everybody. It works right. for some people, not for everybody. Yeah. So we decided to go back to our roots and go to Kickstarter. That's how we started our first record was on Kickstarter. And so for this round, we asked for $30,000 to make our next record. And within 30 minutes, we were funded. And within the end of the day, we had raised $150,000. And by the end of the campaign, we we became uh, the highest grossing band and in independent mm-hmm. band in Kickstarter history. And which is really phenomenal. And we had no idea. We had, and it was kind of this, we were like kind of without being too woo woo about it, asking the universe, like, should we keep going? Because we were kind of in a weird state, you know? Yeah. And that's your son. And it was like this, yeah, absolutely. And we kept on, like, what if we, what if, hey, if we do this much money, we can do this. And people were like, yes, let's do it. And, and it was right on the heels, like the day we launched on the July 1st. And on June 30th, this article came out about Taylor Swift Mm. and her big kerfluffle with Big Machine Records. And so it kind of, we just rode that wave, so to speak. And a lot of people were rallying behind us and we're in our corner. Mm Mm-hmm. So here we are, and um, we now are uh, we, we're starting fresh on a lot of fronts mm-hmm. uh, internally. It's like a second chance almost, and we just finished recording the first record. We're in the mixing phase, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to be in El Paso, Texas, for a couple of, for a little while, and recording the next uh, the dark record, which is all just swampy yeah. southern gothic kind of stuff. And uh, we're able to put those out when we want, mm-hmm. when we feel like it's ready, and yeah, it's really that's it's, awesome, it's terrifying and exciting. It, you know, I, I was following Grant's Instagram and like seeing him post like every day how much more yeah was coming, and it was just like mind blowing. And then being the top earning band, independent on, band, yeah, on Kickstarter, just so cool, and I think speaks a lot to your fan base and and your music and it's, it is all because of the fans and then and these people have started coming out of the woodworks of just coming to represent us mm-hmm. and these fan clubs have formed and they're just doing amazing things and they just love it and they're that's really cool it's exciting yeah, yeah. that's awesome yeah. I mean that's like the crazy thing kind of what we were talking about if Dina Carter wanted to put out another record after she had gotten dropped in the late 90s how would you even Exactly. Go about doing that. So, where y'all are just like, hey, we want to do this. That's what what so, do y'all think? That's why I say it's exciting, this time period we're in right mm-hmm. now, because yeah. you're absolutely right. Back back then, you needed a record deal right. in order to make to get right. any traction at all. And if you got that traction, boom, you were off to the races. But if you didn't, you were you were dropped quick. So right, right. now you can you can have an underground following. You could back then, too. Right. But it's a little bit easier now to have this niche thing that you do and make a living at it yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and find your people. You know, I, I listen to a lot of nerdy podcasts. I'm, I'm you know, my nerd. Not ours. Constantly. <laughs> oh, I thought you just saying we're not nerdy. Like, no, we're no, not. this is nerdy. No, I'm a, I'm a theme park junkie, so I listen uh-huh. to a lot of like theme parky. Oh, cool. Stuff. And but that I don't think that could have existed. In the, think about in the in the mid '90s, you might be a fan of that stuff and think that you're just the only person that feels right. this way. And then there's no community center groups for, for your, you know, theme park yeah. fandom, but because of the internet and social media and stuff, you can find your people. And mm-hmm. the same thing with, with people that like, for whatever reason, Delta Ray is resonating with this type, this, these people and it speak, it speaks to them and they're just, they're, they're all in and it's really, really awesome. Yeah. It's all thanks to them for sure. 
Amazing. So you said that you've recorded the first one and you're mixing it now, going to be recording the second one. But then it sounded like you might sit on them for a little while or... We have a, we have a plan okay. for all that stuff. And okay. uh, we're hiring... Uh, like PR firms, we're hiring distribution, but like all the stuff that labels do internally. You're able to do yourself. Well, that's what the money is for. Mm-hmm. After the Kickstarter was done, we went out to dinner as a band, mm-hmm. and that's that was our treat. Yeah. And everything else is allocated. Yeah. Uh, and you guys can't see these platinum chains he's got on right now. Like <laughs> that's why she's that's, that's why you're touching. touching them. Yeah. The gold encrusted beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> but like, but like, no, really, it's like, like you know, PR and music videos and the things that that or or um, tour support is something mm-hmm. that's also like when when somebody opens for a really big band, sometimes it's pay to play, right. or sometimes it'll be like you get a thousand bucks for right. it, or you know, uh, you know, uh, something for the for the show. And if your overhead is really high, then you're going to lose a ton of money. Right. So that's that's why tour support labels pay uh, help pay sure. for the tours and stuff like yeah. that but now we're on our own and if there's a great opportunity for us mm-hmm. that's not gonna, that's gonna we're gonna lose money on yeah, yeah, yeah. we have some funds that are that we can dip you. into to support yeah. that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so you guys have a show in Raleigh coming up soon right yeah we have two on December the 13th and the 14th both at the Lincoln yes but the 14th we're gonna be playing uh, all of our first record Carry the Fire all the way start to finish it's oh, really fun, and cool. we have some special guests and features, and it's, we and we'll see how it goes. We haven't yeah. played these songs in like nine years, so that's exciting. <laughs> it should be a lot though. of fun. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun, nostalgic uh, trip. And then the, the show before is the Take Me There tour. Um, show. Gotcha. Yeah. And December 11th in Nashville, so a couple of days yeah. before. Yeah, that the exit in. Yeah, so we're flying. We're gonna be recording until the 10th, uh-huh. and then we haul ass to uh, the 11th to that show. And then personally, I'm flying to Raleigh early on the 12th because I have a team build I have a company that I run here mm-hmm. called Drum Team Collective it's a team building program so I'm doing a drum team gig here well and then right after that is the, the shows <laughs> and, then, and then we're actually shooting music videos here in town like right after the Lincoln show so oh that's cool there's a lot of shit that people local, don't see local directors and stuff shooting that or? it's a no it's a crew from LA that we were going to be shooting some stuff out in LA didn't work out and so are, are doing, it, doing here. it here yeah but that's cool to get to showcase where you guys are so excited oh yeah, yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun yeah, yeah. a lot of fun do you want to talk about bald men at all? Bald men? Yes, bald, any bald men. So the, the, so I was driving for Uber and a kid took a picture of this bald guy with me. <laughs> so actually this is kind of funny. So when the band signed with, when we, we signed Big, Big Machine, part of the deal is you do a radio tour, mm-hmm. right? And so, and because of budgetary reasons, we couldn't get every single person, there's six of us in the band, right. to fly around to these radio shows. So they took this to four singers. And it was the first time that I've been off the road for more than a couple of weeks at a time. So it was like mm-hmm. four months, mm-hmm. right? So I literally started two companies during that four-month <laughs> radio tour out of boredom. <laughs> um, and... And one of them is, like I mentioned, Drum Team Collective. Right. It's, a, it's a corporate team building program. We teach people how to play drums. It's a lot of fun. And then the other one is Bald Man Percussion. I had this contraption, hi-hat contraption that I've been tinkering with and brought out on tour. And the opening band's drummer, Danny Young, also a bald guy, said, I love that. What is that? It's a for the audience at home. It's a it's like a hi hat contraption, two symbols, but they're made out of wood and chains, and they go up and down and make a weird sound. And he's a woodworker and a drummer, and he said, "Can I make a cleaner version of that so I can use it?" I said, "Yes, go for it." 
And then he had a gig with Dan Tominski on the Colbert show a few months later and using his better made contraption and the drummer for the for the Colbert show ran up like, holy shit, I love that. Can I have that? What is that? I need one. Where'd you buy that? So Dan, he called me. He's like, dude, you like this thing. I like this thing. Joe Saylor from Colbert likes it. Let's make some. So we spent about a year making them, making a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And we said, hey, internet, we're, we got this thing. Who wants one? They're, you know, they're, they're cheap. Buy one. <laughs> and we sold out really quickly. And then it started escalating from there. And George made y'all's logo? He did. George Hodge. Yeah. yeah. George Hodge. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. Seeing absolutely. It. it looks fun. Thanks. Yeah. So it, both of us are bald drummers. We call it a company, Bald Man Percussion. We're now in 13 countries. Our drummer heroes are playing it. Wow. Um, as of... I don't know when this is going to get released, but Travis Barker just got one oh, yeah, from, so like, from Blink-182 fame. Jeez. I know. So basically we're finding out if it wasn't for the internet, you would have like no, or maybe one of your four jobs would exist. But you wouldn't be driving internet, Uber, internet, Delta Ray may not be. Internet and that radio tour. <laughs> that would have just been on the road and been just too swamped. And now I'm on the road and too swamped. But yeah. <laughs> I think that that's interesting that I don't I don't know if I toured as much as you guys did and recorded and everything and I got to a point where I could just take four months off I would just sleep for four months right so that's I think says a lot about your creativity and need to do something. I think it's the coffee. Oh, the coffee? <laughs> I think that's what it is. I should probably cut that back too. you know okay well very good anything else um Thank you for stop touching me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I yeah. <laughs> strawberry wine. Yeah, we should have we should have bought stuff. Can but this it's be also- sponsored by Boone's Farm? Can we get like a? Do they do they thing? have like marketing money or just like I'll call we are now. the cheapest alcohol you could buy? I yeah. think that's the kind of their plan. Yeah. I think that's the slogan. Yeah, like yeah. we're cheap. I'll yeah. tweet at him it and works. ask him. We can tweet at him. We've been working on a Bojangles sponsorship. That working or failing come to fruition yet. Yeah, so. next time they go on a radio tour, if you want to, you know, get in with us on getting a Bojangles sponsorship with okay. all this extra creative energy you have. Right. I'm going to yeah. put that this on the docket cool. for sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Bojangles, if you're listening, it would be terrific if you could sponsor the <laughs> Beyond Boots podcast. The 90s Country Music Podcast. <laughs> well, thanks so much for listening today, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And I will quit touching Mike. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye, Mom. Bye, Mom. (laughs) Bye, Mom. You made it. You listened to the whole thing.